Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Today we thought we'd do something just a little bit different. Instead of having a live show like we normally do, we're going to have a pre-recorded show. But what we did is went back and took callers from several previous shows, put it together as a composite, and a little bit of information in between, so we hope you enjoy it. Of course, if you do have a question, you can always go to the website and click on questions. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. And of course, there's lots of questions that have already been answered. You just do a little search, and if you can't find what you're looking for, just send an email. Be sure, too, that you do type in the right return address, because if I don't have the right return address, I just can't get it back to you. But as long as I do, you'll get an answer back within 24 hours. I generally carry my laptop with me even when I'm on vacation, so you'll get questions answered that way. If not, you can just sit back and listen, and I hope you enjoy the show. This is the way it works. Our first call today is from a gentleman who was on vacation. His check engine light came on, and he was just bit worried, understandably so, so he gave us a call. Just took off on a trip to Memphis, and my malfunction indicator light came on. Okay. It came on four or five days ago and stayed on for about a day, and then oh, now it's back on. I'm just curious. I'm going to blow up my car on this ride or what? Normally, you're not going to be anything. The reason they say service engine soon is because it's not something that is going to stop the car physically. Have you ever noticed the service engine soon light is yellow? The oil pressure light is red. Temperature light is red. A red light means stop. A yellow light means caution. Now, that doesn't mean just forget about it because it's something that is going to cause a problem if you keep on driving. So as soon as you get back, you get an appointment, I'd have that checked. Just because the light goes off does not mean it's fixed. It just means it's not testing for that problem at that particular time. Okay. I did notice in the manual it said if it starts flashing, like... Well, if it's flashing, that generally, yeah, that indicates a Mm -hmm. misfire. And what happens with a misfire is that every time that the engine misses, you get a charge of gasoline that goes into the catalytic converter, which can burn it up. So you take a minor problem like maybe a bad spark plug or a bad spark yeah. plug wire and turn it into a $900 catalytic converter. So, oh, okay. So uh, it could be simple as simple as what you just said. I was just assuming the transmission was getting ready to go out or something crazy like that. Well, it does check the uh, transmission as well. And if you got a slippage in your transmission, it's going to set a light. So you could have something just as simple as a couple of quarts low on fluid from a minor leak and you keep driving and you end up burning the transmission up. So it's not ever anything you want to just let go. Sometimes it could be a vacuum leak. It could be one of the sensors on the engine has gone bad. Most of the time, Todd, when we check those things, we find fairly minor issues. But unfortunately, people just have a bad, bad habit of putting it off. And by the time they finally bring them in, it's a major problem because of the residual things that have happened by driving it with light on. Okay. Uh, one other quick question. Sure. Do y'all have any of your, your classes scheduled to teach everybody to come into the shop and go to Currently, we do not have one scheduled, but I tell you what, if you go to the website and click on automotive classes, and, and there's uh-huh. a place where you can add your name to the list, and okay. as soon as we do, they'll notify us, send you an email and, and, and notify you. We should have one coming up before very much longer. We just had a lot of construction and stuff going on in the shop and haven't had time to sit down long enough to put one together. Yeah, go ahead and get on the website and register in that way because we're going to call everybody who's registered first. Okay. And if there's anybody left to fill the class, we'll go ahead and announce it over the air. Go ahead and get registered, and that way you'll be sure to be one of the first ones. I thought that Todd's call made three very good points. First is the check engine light, when it comes on, is not anything to be ignored. It does indicate a problem. However, it's normally not going to be the type of problem that's going to stop the vehicle from driving. In other words, it doesn't check the oil, it doesn't check the temperature, it doesn't check the battery. Those have their own lights, and those lights are red. Now, with a red light, you have to stop driving. That means that's a condition that's critical that is going to damage the engine. The check engine light is yellow. Yellow means caution, and it means you need to have that check 
check as soon as possible. And that's the reason they call it a check engine soon light. It doesn't have to stop, pull off. It's not an emergency. But by the same token, it's not something you want to just ignore. For instance, as Todd mentioned, it could be a transmission problem. The check engine light does also check the transmission. So you don't want to take a problem like maybe low fluid in the transmission from a minor leak and turn it into a major transmission overhaul because the transmission burns up. As it worked out, this was a fairly minor problem. I think it was a, actually a vacuum leak is what was causing the problem, and it wasn't critical. So Todd was able to go ahead and complete his vacation. Now, a second thing is that Todd gave us a call on the radio and thought that was great. It just happened out that he could call at that particular time. But even when you're out on the road, if you have a problem, just go to our website, particularly if you have a computer with you, I guess only if you have a computer with you. But more and more and more, you can get access to a computer just about everywhere and send us an email. And we'll generally get that answered for you real quick, certainly within 24 hours. So if you have any doubt, you can do that. Now, if you just can't get access to us, certainly there are many other fine service facilities out on the road. One good thing, too, if you go to our website, you can look up how to locate a great shop. And that's not only for people who need a shop where they live, but there's a part in that article about how to find a shop when you're on the road and have an emergency. There's all sorts of different ways you can go about that. You know, one thing is to call maybe a parts store and just ask them, say, hey, where would you go if your mother's car was broken down? Where would you send her? And best thing is not to call just one, but call several and then see if one guy's name gets referred more than once. Another thing you can do is get a name from the first guy and then ask the second guy. In other words, the first guy says, well, Joe's Repair Shop is a great place to go. Call a second place and say, hey, what do you think of Joe's Repair Shop? Oh, yeah, he's a great place. So the more recommendations you can get, the better it is. So that's a another way you can also find someone on the road. Now, when you are on the road and you do have to have repairs made, it's generally best to ask, hey, what do I have to get done and what do I need to get done? Because he may give you a long list of things and certainly all those things may need to be done, but they may not need to be done immediately. So what you're looking for is more of an immediate repair. When you get home to your regular mechanic, you have him go over it and go ahead and complete the repair. That's just a lot more convenient if you have problems with the repair down the road and have to go back for warranty. If you're up in Virginia or North Carolina and you have a repair made and you get back to Baton Rouge and you have a problem, certainly you can't return for warranty. So what you want to do is have an emergency repair done. Go ahead and get the minimum that you need to be safe and get back home. And then when you get home, have your regular mechanic go ahead and look it over. Now, last thing that Todd mentioned was the auto awareness class. We haven't had one in a while because we've just been so busy, but I swear we've got one coming up. So what you want to do is go to the website again, and there's a section on auto awareness classes. Right? It says auto class. If you click on there, it'll give you plenty of information on it, all about it. It's a free class. doesn't cost a thing. Four hours long. It's held on a Saturday. And we'll teach you just so many little things about your car, ways to prevent problems, ways to deal with problems when you have them, and ways to select a shop, ways to talk to a shop. What does a check engine light mean? How is a tech check engine light diagnosed? We even take the pan off of a transmission and show you the inside, show you what a good service is. What you can do is go ahead and register for the next available class. When you do that, we'll take your email, put it into a file, and when the next class is scheduled, we'll go ahead and notify you of that. So that way, you'll be sure to get in. Generally, the classes fill up really quick, so you want to go ahead and get on the list now, and next time we schedule one, probably in the early fall, we'll go ahead and get you on. And it's just a great class. No charge for it. Just something you'll really enjoy and get just a whole lot out of it. Okay, let's go on to our next one. As I talk about a lot on the show, the best way to get a question answered is to send me an email. And one of the most common emails that I receive is the question on synthetic oil. When should I use it? How should I use it? And so on and so forth. The following discussion is one that Brian and I had several months ago all about synthetic oil. 
emails that I get, probably more than anything else, is talking about synthetic oil. Right. Inevitably, I think the number one question I get about synthetic oil is, hey, if I go to synthetic oil, can I go much longer between oil changes? Mm-hmm. My answer is always the same. Synthetic oil will get as dirty or dirtier than regular oil because mm-hmm. it cleans better. Right. I think it's a wonderful product. I think it's great to use, particularly under extreme conditions. But if you're going to use it for the purpose of going longer between changes, I don't think that's a good purpose. I think you'd be better off to use regular oil and change it regularly than to use synthetic and go very long. Right. From the oil standpoint, Mm -hmm. the oil could go that far. Right. Well, from a standpoint of oxidation. Right. uh, It won't break down physically. Right. But the contaminants get contaminated just like it does fossil oil. Right. In fact, even more so because it it tends to clean things better. Every engine in the world gets a lot of contaminants in it. Mm -hmm. The moisture tends to condense in it because it heats up, it gets hot, and it cools off. It's just like a window in your house. The inside will be dried, outside will be wet because of the differential in temperature. Right. Same thing on an engine. It picks up a lot of moisture. The oil tries to contain it, and that goes right straight through that filter because it's a liquid same as the oil is mm-hmm. and the only way to get that out is to drain and drain fill the right. all that liquid contaminants in there tend to form sludge and acids and they tend to attack the metal parts and the machine mm-hmm. parts and really cause a lot so i think you're doing a disservice by going real long between changes the amount of time you can go between a change depends on the way you're going to drive the car definitely if your average trip is, say, 50 miles, let's say you, you live in Baton Rouge and you work down in Geismar somewhere, mm-hmm. and you're driving 50 miles one way, well, almost any oil will hold up to that because that's, that's ideal conditions. Sure. But if you're like most of us and the average trip is maybe 5, 10 miles. Which is severe service. That's severe service because it never gets to full operating temperature. You exactly. You car, you go to the grocery store, you cut it off. That sits. And you get out, you go back home, and you haven't traveled maybe three miles each way, four miles each way, maybe five at the most. Mm -hmm. That's considered severe service. And that is very, very hard on your engine oil. In fact, a lot of elderly people who come in, we talk to them, and they just don't put many miles in a car. You know, they have a car that's four years old and have 15,000, 20,000 miles on it. They're really kind of surprised to know that that is severe service. That Mm -hmm. car is under severe conditions. So the oil needs to be changed more often, and that's also an ideal time to use synthetic oil. Sure. It, It can hold up to that kind of use. Synthetic oil is great. It has a lot of uses. There are many times when synthetic oil is much better than regular oil. There's only one major drawback to synthetic oil, and that is the cost. Synthetic oil is going to cost three, four times as much as regular oil. Now, that doesn't mean the entire oil change will cost three to four times as much, but the oil itself can cost three to four times the cost. The times when you need synthetic oil is under extreme service. Now, extreme service doesn't mean you're necessarily hot rodding the car or running it, although that might be an example of extreme service. Extreme service can be a car that sits a lot or a car that is not driven very far at a time. Cars that get a lot of very short trips, particularly short trips in stop-and-go traffic, are extreme use, and they're prime candidates for synthetic oil. Vehicles that are run on the open road a lot, for instance, a vehicle that's put on the road and driven 15, 20 miles at a time, generally don't need synthetic. They're going to do just fine with regular oil, so you can save your money. As far as the extended intervals, I just think that's a false economy. You're really better off to stay with regular oil and change more frequently. Engines that we see, when we tear them down, the ones that have gone for very long periods of time, six, seven, eight thousand miles between changes, they just have a lot of additional problems. Sludge buildup is always a problem. The engines get a lot dirtier because you're not removing the liquid contaminants that do cause those problems. Another thing is that seals tend to get hard over time because there are additives in the oil that help to keep the seals nice and pliable. 
additives do not last as long as synthetic oil does. So when they start going away, you end up with hard seals, leaks, and all that sort of thing. Now, one thing, if you are going to change over, if you're considering changing over to synthetic oil, if the car does not have very many miles on it, that's not going to be a problem. Let's say you've got 10,000 or less miles, maybe 15,000 miles. You can just go ahead and drain it, put the synthetic in, and you're going to be just fine. Now, a car with more miles, maybe 50, 60, 70, or more thousand miles on it, when you add the synthetic oil in place of the regular oil, you can start to clean up things that have been building up over a period of time. It's really wise to go in about halfway through the oil change and replace the filter and top off the oil. For instance, if you're going to change it 3,000 miles, you go ahead, you drain, you fill, you add the synthetic. At 1,500 miles, go back, replace the oil filter itself, and then top the oil off and go your other 1,500. Reason being is that when it starts to break up the sludge and the stuff that's built up in the engine, it's got to go somewhere. The filter takes it up, and it can very easily plug a filter up. So on higher mileage cars, that's one thing to do. One other thing to look out for is that on higher mileage cars, synthetic oil can sometimes reveal oil leaks. It isn't generally going to create an oil leak, but it can reveal an oil leak. If it's got some sludge that's plugging up a potential leak and you clean the sludge away, you're going to get a leak. So it's not that it actually created the leak, but it revealed the leak. My thought is that if you got a potential leak, I want to go ahead and know about it and go ahead and repair it anyway, so it's not a big issue. But with some folks, it might be. So that's one other thing to think about. One last tip is that when you replace your oil filter, anytime you have your oil changed, one of the best things you can do is to put an original equipment oil filter. Now, what original equipment means is that if it's a General Motors car, it gets a Delco filter. If it's a Ford car, it gets a Motocraft filter. Nissan would get Nissan. Toyota would get Toyota. Honda would get Honda. There's all sorts of aftermarket filters on the market. Some are okay, some are not. It's really hard to judge. When you get the original equipment filter, you know you're always getting a very decent filter. So that's just a good tip for you. If you bring your car somewhere to have the oil change, you may want to go to the dealer, buy some oil filters, and bring your own filter. Then when you get ready to change the oil, say, look, go ahead and change the oil, but use this oil filter if you don't mind. That's just a good way to protect your car. A lot of the aftermarket filters don't have the same standards as the original equipment. Some don't have the drain back valves in them. And just the filter media may not be attached as well inside the filter. Just not as high a quality product in every case. You can generally be assured of a good filter whenever you use the original equipment filter. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hey, Lewis Aldazan from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Aldazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steer you wrong. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hi, 
Hi, welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Hey, today's show is a little bit different from our normal show in that it's not a live show, it's pre-recorded, and it's a composite made up of several of our previous shows. What we've done is gone back and found several calls that were, well, we think, very interesting and brought out good points. We've also thrown in a good deal of extra information just to keep you interested. We hope you enjoy it. Seems like the price of gasoline is rising just almost every day. It's always tempting to try to save money on gas and save money on everything for that matter. The way to do it is not by looking for the cheapest gas you can find. Name brand gasolines may cost a few pennies more, but in my experience it's just a whole lot less expensive in the long run. Some of the private label brands may just not be quite as good as what the name brands are. No scientific proof there, just experience. A long time working on cars with fuel system problems. Our next caller asked that same question. Let's listen. Just got a new 07 Tahoe. Uh Uh-huh. Question is, what's the difference between the major gasoline brands Mm -hmm. and Wally World and what have you? Only a, I guess a chemist could tell you that. I can't tell you for certain. I know whenever we have vehicles come in that have problems with the fuel system, I'm talking about clogged up injectors, tanks full of water, rusty tanks, all those kind of things. Inevitably, I'll ask them, where do you normally buy your gas? And the answer is never at one of the major. Again, we can't talk about brand names on the air. I've never had anybody come in and say, I buy always Chevron gas, and they had a whole lot of fuel system problems. Yeah. I have seen hundreds of times where people have come in, the other answer, and they've had fuel system problems, be it clogged injectors, be it a tank full of sludge, a fuel pump that's just rusted to pieces. So I can't tell you exactly what the differences are. I know sometimes the majors do produce fuel for these other guys. I don't know that they produce it to the same specification that they make their own fuel. I know in the private label business, there are many, many instances, and again, i gotta be, I got to kind of tiptoe around the, the subject because I can't mention brand names on the air, but there may be a major brand name company that makes a tire for somebody else, and they may even put their name on it, but it's made to the specifications of the company who bought it. Right. Uh, same thing with washing machines and refrigerators. Big sales place here in town that'll sell a washing machine that's made by Whirlpool, say. but it's not the same as a brand name Whirlpool washer. It's made yeah. to their specifications to sell for a certain price, so I assume it's something to do with that, but to give you a scientific answer, I can't tell you. I don't feel that maybe it's kept to the same cleanliness standard, or maybe the same moisture standard, maybe it's something to do with the way it's transported, I don't know, but I can say consistently, every time we get a vehicle in with a direct fuel system problem that's caused by contaminated fuel, and I ask them where they get it, I never, ever hear Exxon or Shell or Chevron or whatever. Right. So in my vehicles, I can tell you, I run nothing but the main brand name. Okay. All right? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Bye-bye. Sometimes the cheapest way out is a little more expensive way in. Using a better grade of gasoline is just good, cheap insurance. Not everybody that uses private label gas will have a problem. It's just that the odds seem to be higher on that. That's just sort of the way odds are. Just like if everybody who smokes does not get lung cancer, but some do, and the odds are much higher if you do smoke than if you don't smoke seems to be there's a correlation. We just seem to see an awful lot more fuel system problems from people who use private label gas and almost no problems from people who use the name brand. So I recommend the name brands. It just seems like it's a less expensive option to me. The average car probably drives about 12,000 miles a year. And let's just take 16 miles per gallon as pretty much an average amount of mileage that the car might get. Now at that rate, you'd get 600 gallons in a year. At five cents savings per gallon, you'd save $37.50 a year. Now, that's not a whole lot of money. Five years, that'd be $187.50. If you figure one set of fuel injectors can easily cost $1,000, it's just not a very good gamble. Same thing with a fuel pump. 
fuel pumps generally cost anywhere from $400 to $900 installed. Just the pump can be five or $600, and then you have to drop the fuel tank in order to change it in most cases. So very expensive repair, and if you increase your odds, it's just not a very good savings. Again, if you're going to save $187 in five years, you know, in 10 years, $375. Now, what's the odds of having a problem in 10 years? If you can just cut those odds down, $375 over a course of 10 years is just not a lot of savings. So to me, it's just better to go with a higher grade of gasoline. I want the best gas I can buy. And I found that to be the name brands. I personally like Chevron, Exxon, Shell, all of the name brands. I've had no trouble with it all. And it just seems that we've never had a person come in with a contaminated fuel system and tell me that they were using one of the name brand gasolines. And the opposite just seems to happen all the time. So that's the reason why we make that recommendation. Ironically, several weeks later, Brian and I were discussing throttle bodies after a call on cruise control. And that discussion spurred another call, which sort of ties in with what we are just talking about. Cruise controls are one of those things that they've gotten simpler as the years have gone on. Yeah, they used the, to be the, real complicated at Well, first. they did. It took quite a, a bit of mechanisms to make all that stuff work. Of course, with the electronics and all they've got now, particularly with the electronic throttle bodies, it's just a little bit of software. Yeah. You know, they can command that throttle body to sit anywhere they want it to sit, and it's already looking at the speed of the vehicle. So all it needs is just a request for cruise, which is nothing more than a sensor. When you push the button, it sends a request for cruise. Right. It looks at the miles that you're traveling, and then just sets the throttle body to hold that. And it's all done internally. You won't see any componentry. In fact, if you look at a cruise-equipped vehicle, a non-cruise-equipped vehicle, you won't see any difference. That's it. Everything's built in already. So. Right. The new throttles. Drive-by-wire. Drive-by-wire. Yeah. You know, a lot, and, of, a lot uh, of people don't realize that, that on a lot of the newer vehicles, when you're mashing the accelerator, you're not doing absolutely anything at all. All you're doing is turning sensors, p- position sensors, and the computer's taking over from there. Right. The throttle used to be an input to the system and now it's actually an output from mm-hmm. the system in fact many of the vehicles if you take and just push the accelerator to the floor just quickly while the motor's running idle it'll ignore it that's right it'll override you will not race the engine up because when you do punch down like that it sends a column of exhaust gas which is too much for the catalytic converter to handle so it's called a punch through mm-hmm. this column of gas would actually go through the converter and it would emit quite a bit of emissions when that happened. You're sitting right. there just racing the motor up. So in cases now, it will actually ignore you. You push the throttle, <laughs> it won't do anything. Isn't that great, huh? Yeah, oh yeah. It, it, they got it figured out now. But, That's uh, it. Yeah, it's got just sensors. And as you're measuring that throttle, it's just sending a request what for it, acceleration right. based it, on how much you're... It takes those sensors, and it compares the sensors and takes an average off of those. Uh-huh. The computer reads that. Then it sends the average to the throttle body motor which actually turns the flap mm-hmm. in the throttle body. So it's yeah. really a, a pretty neat system. Yeah, it really is. Set up. And I guess the reason they use sensors in case one fails or even can always operate off well, of one. That's so. it. The more sensors you have, the better average you can yeah, get. Yeah, sort of a redundant system. Exactly. I know Toyota has an auxiliary cable on theirs. If the sensors go out, it will revert to a cable, but it won't let you go but about 30 or 40 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't open the throttle completely up. Right. Uh, but it will give you some. Just to uh, get just, you off the road. You home. Sort of a limp function, you there know, you where go. you can get back home. Yeah, that's pretty much the way a lot of this stuff works now. A person called me the other day, and they said, yeah, my car won't start. I pumped the gas a few times. <laughs> and even on the older cars, pumping that gas pedal is doing absolutely nothing. That's it. You're opening and closing it. an air valve. That's, that's it. all I, you're doing. Not- I see a lot of people doing that. It's an old habit. It's hard to break. Well, and a lot of people will argue with it. Well, no, it starts when I do that. Well, it starts because you're, the time that you're spending pushing that thing is giving the fuel pump enough time to get fuel up to those injectors so right if you just sat there and waited the same amount of time it would do (laughs) the same thing yeah Yeah, it really has no relationship to the engine starting like it used to you mashing that accelerator right before you were mashing the accelerator and sending fuel 
out of the little pump in the carburetor. Pump and it would give a little squirt the, of gas every time. Yeah, into uh, the Venturi, and it would it would start. But mm-hmm. but now, like you say, all you're doing now is, is opening and closing the air valve because the fuel's coming in from the pump in the, right. in the tank. So it's, and it's got a sensor that's going to see how cold or hot the engine is, and it's going to automatically give it the correct amount of fuel. Right. It's kind of like the old days you had a choke that would close to rich in the mixture. Well, right. now it just looks at the temperature and just increases the pulse width on the injector to give it the right mixture that it needs based on the temperature mm-hmm. so really the proper way to start a car now is just to reach in turn the key and that's it and it'll start you know? that's it i noticed my truck you just reach in you turn the key and you can let off and it'll crank it'll still spin over till it cranks a lot of them do have that feature now is, they will continue to crank even though you release the key right. until it starts within limits you know, right. if it doesn't it's start it'll, it'll stop it'll time out right but yeah you just hit that key and let it go and it'll keep on cranking until it starts yeah it's odd from getting it out of something else in it and hitting the key and just and it, it spins till it starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, of them do, a lot of them do have that. Of course, there's some of them now to have the actually the remote starting feature. Right. I think uh, some of the I, 07 Chevrolet was an option, I believe. Yeah, and I saw one the other day. It's got a little Nissan. And as long as you got the key in your pocket, uh-huh. uh, it will read it. It sends an RF signal to it, and you just push a button on dash, and it'll start. Right. Hey, that stuff is great, I guess. It, oh, it, hey. it sells cars. Exactly. My thought is, hey, that little transmitter probably costs 900 bucks. Yeah, what's <laughs> yeah. going to happen when this thing breaks? When that breaks, and it's going to complicate everything else. So That's it's kind of right. cool. And like I said, I think it probably sells cars, but is yeah, it, down the road, really is it really practical? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not going to yeah, be real fun when it breaks. We've been carrying keys for, what, 50, 60, yeah, 80 years now? 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Cynthia on the line. Good morning, Cynthia. I have a 99 Chrysler Concord, and you were just talking about pumping the accelerator. Doesn't help it start. Not uh-huh. at all. <laughs> well, I'm confused, then. <laughs> yeah, pumping that accelerator is doing absolutely nothing except opening and closing an air valve. It's not connected to the fuel system at all. Well, my car is having trouble starting after I've gone a long way, and then say I've stopped at the store, and then mm-hmm. I run in, I run in and come right back out. Well, yes, it ma'am. just has so much trouble. It's like a fuel injector to me. Yeah, let me give you just a one thing that I've seen cause, and I can cover a lot of other things too. But one thing, and again, don't give me the name of the type of gas you buy because I don't want anybody's name put on the air. But a lot of times, if you tend to buy the discount gas, what happens? You do. Yeah. Try a couple of tanks full of a a name brand gas. What I've seen, sometimes those have alcohol and stuff added to the fuel. What will happen, you drive the car, it gets hot. That sits in the fuel line, and it actually starts to boil. When it boils, you get vapor in the fuel line. Now, when that happens, the fuel injectors don't have a ready supply of fuel to start. So you hit the key, and yeah, 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 yeah. In the time, you see, what you do then is you turn the key off, you turn it back on, and you pump the pedal. Well, Uh what's happening is that when you turn the key off, you turn it on, you're running the fuel pump for a second. If you just cycle the ignition a couple times, it will run that fuel pump every time you cycle the ignition, and it pushes the fuel on up. And that's why it starts. It really has nothing to do with the pump and the accelerator. Just... It makes you feel good to do it. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but, yeah. Sometimes I have to sit there for 10 minutes yeah. before it'll stop. Get pumping that accelerator. Yeah, try. Next time it does it, just turn the key off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on several times and okay. see if it'll start. If so, what you might want to try is go to a name brand fuel and see if that helps. Now, if that does not help, there are other things that can cause that problem. If the fuel pump itself is starting to go bad, it will give you the exact same symptom. Because okay. the way it works, the fuel pump is in the gas tank, and it pumps the fuel up to the front of the motor, so it's got to push that fuel up about 20 feet, and it has to have fuel at the injectors when it goes to start. Now, there's a little valve inside that fuel pump, and when you turn the key off, it closes, which holds a little bit of pressure on that fuel line. 
Okay. That way, when you turn the key back on, it, it goes ahead and it starts. If for some reason that little check valve leaks down, the fuel will leak back to the gas tank. Now, it's going to have to crank a good while before it can get the fuel back up to the front. Okay. Uh, real, real easy to diagnose that, uh, Cynthia. You get to the shop, they're going to put a fuel pressure gauge on the car. Now, they can watch what the pump is doing, and so that's real easy to diagnose. If that's not it, there are some other things. You, know, you can have something like a cam sensor that gets hot and the signal goes away, but it's not really anything you'd probably be able to diagnose yourself. It would have to go to a shop for those sorts of things. But before you go spend any money, just try a couple of tankfuls of name brand gas and just see if that doesn't help. Well, I had the cam sensors changed about a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. But I listen to y'all every Saturday, and I'm so excited. I'm going to be smarter than my son, who's a, <laughs> son is a mechanical engineer, because he told me to pump the gas. <laughs> and I can't wait to tell him. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right now, so I, you I need can't to, wait to tell him. You need to really drive that in. I'm telling you. I will. <laughs> Get the most mileage out of that. That's it. Keep it up the whole weekend. That's it. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank Bye-bye. You. Yes, ma'am. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm sure Cynthia's not alone. I'll bet a lot of us still pump that gas pedal one time that did make a difference and every time you pump the gas pedal it gave a little squirt of gas sometimes it would help it to start when it didn't but anymore you're just not doing anything but opening and closing an air valve hey we're going to take another quick little break and we'll be right back for more Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Lewis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive. Today's show is pre-recorded, composite show made up of callers from several of our past shows. We hope you're enjoying the show. In case you do have something you need an answer to, you just go to our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's www.agcoauto.com. And if you look on the questions section, there's quite a few questions in there already, probably a couple hundred or more that have already been answered, Most, some of the most common ones. Just go to the search engine, and you can search through there and see if you can find the answer to what you need. If you don't see it, there's also a button you can push, and it'll send me an email. If you send me an email, I'll get you an answer back within 24 hours. And make sure that you do get correct return address, because if you happen to type that in wrong, I have no way to get back in touch with you. So if you hadn't heard back from me within 24 hours, just go ahead and send it again. 
I always carry my laptop with me, even when I'm off traveling. So within 24 hours, you'll get an answer back. And that's the best way to get in touch with me. In fact, it's actually the only way to get in touch with me because I'm out of town this weekend. Look around that website when you're on there. There's also a lot of articles, which are down on the left-hand side at the bottom. You have to kind of scroll down. All sorts of good information. Good information on automatic transmissions and getting service done, how to avoid some pitfalls of getting service done, and just all sorts of things. Must be 30 or 40 different news articles. And of course, there's contests, a crossword puzzle, and a little Agco Auto Quick Quiz where you can win an Agco t-shirt. Just all sorts of fun things. The absolute best thing about the website is there's nothing for sale. Not one thing on there anybody's trying to sell you. It's just strictly an informational resource. And that's the reason we did it. Just to have information. If you have a problem with your car or you want to service your own car and just not really sure how to go about doing it, go ahead and send me an email. Always glad to do it. Just get it to me and I'll answer it just as quick as I possibly can. Talking about getting your car serviced, cars have really, really changed in the last few years, and the way you service them have changed quite a bit. A lot of the things that we used to do, just pretty regularly, can really get you in trouble now. Brian and I were talking about that several weeks ago, and I'm going to go ahead and play that segment. People want to do maintenance on their cars a lot right. of times, but in many, many cases, they want to do the right thing, but they're really not sure how to go about it, or worse yet, they think they know how to go about it because it's the way they've always done it, uh-huh. and they can actually end up damaging the car now with some of the things they try to do. Oh, I'm, I can believe it. Doing maintenance on your car is a good thing, but you just got to be careful. You really need to try to get some expert advice before you jump off and start doing a whole lot. We see that quite a bit. You get cooling systems in, for instance, and just extremely corroded up. Right. Uh, everything in it's just about worn out. And guy said, man, I don't understand. You know, I changed my own cooling every da-da-da-da-da. And you start talking to him a little bit, and what he's doing is he's, number one, using city water in it. He's not using distilled water. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know I couldn't use that. And he's not bleeding the system. He's leaving air trapped in the system, creating problems. Because when he learned how to service cars, all that wasn't necessary. Right. The old cars, the motor sat down real low and the radiator, radiator sat up high. high and yeah. The radiator was copper, and the engine was cast iron, and it was pretty much bulletproof. It just didn't pretty matter much. too much. Yeah. <laughs> Self-correcting, you know, air was going to bubble out to the high spot, and even if it didn't, it wasn't going to hurt a whole lot. Right. But now everything's aluminum and different types of dissimilar metals, and the engine is actually sitting up higher than the radiator because of the way they make the hood lines and all now. Mm-hmm. Of course, with the engine sideways in the car, you can actually do a whole lot of damage just trying to maintain it. That's it. Trying to do the right thing without the correct knowledge. Put the wrong type of coolant in it. We see that quite a bit. Right. Uh, there's, there's several types of coolant out oh, there God, now. Yes. I, everybody, every manufacturer has their own type of coolant now. And for good or for bad reasons, reason. that's how they decide to do it. But the thing is, you really don't have to be a chemist. You don't have to decide, you know, what's in each one, how it works. You just have to put back the right thing. Exactly. Whatever was in there needs to go back into it. So. You need to have an advisor at very least, or you could go on the internet and look for information. The problem is you just don't know who you can trust, who you can't trust. Well, that's it. There's all sorts of people out there giving advice. So it's one reason why I ask people to come to the website, and we'll at least give them the straight information on how to do it. And then a lot of people do write to me and say, look, I want to change my own coolant. And I'm glad to go through and tell them how sure. to do it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go a step by step and everything, but I'll at least give them some guidance of what to do, what not to do, what to look out for. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things that are just so different. And even when I used to work on cars in the shop myself, uh, boy, everything's just totally, totally changed. It has. Things that we used to do just on a routine basis weren't a problem at all. And now, boy, they'll just really cause some problems. And it's different from vehicle type to vehicle type. Something you know on one vehicle doesn't work on the other one. Not necessarily poured over, not at all. That's it. So you you got to be up to date on the vehicle you're working on. Every type of system on that vehicle. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Louis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Louis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just for the break, Brian and I were talking about how much things have changed in the automotive business. You ever notice nowadays when you go into a shop, there was a time when if you walked in a shop and you saw a guy looking at a book, you were in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now if you go in a shop and the guy's not looking at a book, you're in trouble. That's it. Because there's nobody in the world who could actually keep all this information in his head. I know the first thing that most time we do at the shop now when you get a vehicle, unless it's something you just service constantly every day, mm-hmm. you go to the, it's all on CD disc and all now, right. DVD disc. And just kind of familiarize yourself with the way the system works, the different specifications and stuff like that. That way you don't make an error. Exactly. If you're going to try to service your own car, that's something you need to do. You have to be familiar with what you're working on, and you really can't assume anything. It's just all changed so very much. You, know, you can go in now with a test light and just look for a short circuit and burn up a computer. Exactly. Uh, because you, know, you put too many volts on one line right, and try, on the feed try. line, and or it, it'll... It'll wipe it out. Little small things like that, you can really do a lot of harm. So you really want to get some advice before you start uh, tinkering around too. Having the correct information and knowledge is absolutely critical when you work on a car. Whether you do it professionally or just do it yourself, having the proper information present will really save you from getting into a lot of trouble. So many things have changed, and a lot of the methods that we used to use really will cause problems nowadays. Another big problem is procrastination. That is putting off something that you know is wrong. For instance, if you see a leak on the car, it's not going to ever get better. A stitch in time saves nine. You can actually head off a big problem. If you allow it to go on, it's going to get worse. That's going to always cost you just a whole lot more money. Our next caller kind of makes this point. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. Hey, I've got a 2000 Dodge Caravan. Okay. And when I was up under it, changing the oil and other things, yes. I noticed that on the transmission, looks like on the front of it, like a out of a rectangular yes, sir. type cover. Yes, a solenoid body. Oh, okay. It's- <laughs> I know exactly what that is. <laughs> oh. Leaking. Okay. Well, it's leaking oil. Yeah. Very, yeah. very, very common problem on those, Steve. That solenoid body starts to leak. It was just kind of a bad design. Chrysler has redesigned it, but it never recalled it or anything. But that's a kind of a big job. You have to drop the pan and drop, because those solenoids connect to stuff on the valve body, uh-huh. and you have to change that solenoid pack. But pretty important to get that done right away, Steve, because what's going to happen is that if it starts to leak enough fluid, just like the engine, if you run out of oil, you can burn it up. Yes. And if it gets low, it's going to start shifting funny and all. And usually what it does, it leaks a good bit for a while, and then it really starts pouring once it blows all the way through. Oh, really? Uh, yes, yeah. sir. They generally, they'll leak a little bit at first, and then they'll start really pouring out and leave you stranded. So not something you got to run out and do today, but probably within the next week, 10 and days, I try to get that taken. That's a vehicle you don't want to put a transmission in. No. <laughs> oh, okay. About, to, about a $3,000 yeah. job on it to change that transmission. You want to get so. it fixed as, as soon as you can. Yeah, and that can be repaired. I think that solenoid body is about $200 for the part and probably a couple of hours labor. If it has not been serviced recently, you might want to go ahead and service it at the t- same time. Okay. Well, uh, you got to drain the 
you got to take the pan off. Right. I think you Might do have well. to. And I'd have to ask Josh. He does all our transmission work. I believe you do have to drop the pan to do the job. Well, you just put fire under my feet when you there said $3,000. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you can burn a transmission up pretty quickly. And the caravan has had some issues with transmissions. It's yep. not a bad unit, but it's just by the time they get up around 80,000, 90,000 miles, if they're not taken care of, they go out on you. Oh, okay. So uh, I would definitely be getting that thing in, and, and let's, let's take a look at it and get it repaired for you. Okay. Well, I'll be talking to you within the week then. Okay. All right. Steve. Just give us a call. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, man. Right. Bye-bye. Occasionally, you get a call. It's just really easy. Randy's got a problem that Brian and I have both seen numerous occasions. How are you this morning? Great, doing sir. great. All right. I have a 97 Suburban. Uh-huh. It's got about 92,000 miles on okay. it. Okay. Transition has been serviced several times. Uh-huh. And when we go down the interstate, when we come into an exit, or, or if we go down on the highway and come to a red light, uh-huh. got a bump. Like almost somebody hits you from. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. yes, sir. That's pretty common. I can tell you, almost every case, Randy, that is going to be the drive shaft splines are binding on the output shaft of the transmission. Okay. Very, very, very common issue. What happens, you see, is that when the vehicle goes to stop, the inertia of that body wanting to move is going through the wheels. Well, the wheels are tied to the body through two leaf springs. The leaf springs tend to wind up, which is what they're supposed to do. And when they do, the drive shaft moves forward, and it's supposed to do that. It's got splines in the transmission that lets it move forward and back. Okay. It may move an inch, an inch and a half. Now, as long as it smoothly moves in and out, there's no problem. The problem is that over time, those splines tend to get dry, and it plunges in, and then when you release the brake, boom, it feels like somebody hits you from the back. Okay. Now, the fix is to remove the drive shaft. There's a special synthetic grease that you can use to lube those splines up real good, now, put it all back together. One thing about it, you don't want to pack the grease in No. You just want to lube the splines up right. where it'll slide in and out really easy. Because if you pack it with grease, you're going to hydrolock it. Right. And then it's really going to give you trouble. You're going yeah. to get all kinds of vibrations well, and everything else. Well, it can blow the plug else. out of the back of the dry shaft even because can't, grease can't compress. You want to lube it up real well without you know, overdoing it. And you may have to do that, Randy, more than one time, particularly if it's right. been going on for a while. I've seen just where you start. can yeah, you can do it once. It'll go away for a while. It may come back. You'll have to do it again. I've seen where you have to do it two or three times before you get it out completely. Okay. It's sort of an inherent problem they've had with the pickups and the when suburbans. They, when they changed the body style back in the early 90s, they yeah. went to a longer leaf spring to, make, to, it ride to make it ride better. They went from the shorter spring, which was more compact, heavy-duty, to the longer spring for ride, and they tend to wrap up more than the older which ones did. gives more travel on the shaft. That's which, why the older ones didn't do it and the newer ones are. Mm-hmm. Okay. You answered my question. All, All right. right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, All right Randy. Bye. The automotive service business has always had its own share of folklore. Even something as simple as an oil change, you wouldn't think there'd be that many different opinions and ways that it can be done. You would be surprised. Our next caller brings up an interesting point about oil filters. You may have heard this before, but if not, listen and see what you think. Hello. Good morning. I'm putting an oil filter on my F-150 truck. Okay. And I've always wondered... How long does it really take to fill up with oil when I turn the motor back on to fill uh-huh. the oil filter up a little bit? Is it five seconds? Is it a minute and a half? <laughs> you know you know what my daddy always said? He says, you know, you take a glass of water, you stick your finger in that hole. When you pull your finger out, you know how long it takes that hole to fill in? Quick. About that long. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, there's two schools of thought on that. I've heard people say, well, pour some oil in the filter and it da-da-da-da-da. The thing you got to remember, when you're pouring oil into a filter, you're pouring oil on the output side of the filter. Now, if anything in that oil 
is not 100% clean Coming or right out if the any trash comes out of that bottle or you knock a piece of trash into that filter, that's going right straight into your engine. So at one time, people used to advocate that a lot. I think the modern theory is they get, they're getting away from that and they say, no, just put the filter on. Okay, just, just, immediately, almost immediately fills yeah. up it's when you turn very, the motor Very, off. very quick because see, when you've got no back pressure on that pump, it's going to probably kick out 100 pounds of pressure for the first couple of seconds. As soon as the pressure builds up, it's got a relief valve in it that's going to cut the pressure back and regulate it. The amount of all loss is so negligible. And again, the engine is just cranking at that point. Now, depending on what kind of car you get on the F-150, a lot of vehicles actually have an all-pressure bypass where the engine won't start until the pressure comes up. Uh, I don't think that one has it. But I would say you could possibly do more damage by adding any kind of a dirt or trash to the filter than you would by actually leaving it dry. It's going to fill so quickly that it's going to be irrelevant. When you drain the oil, you're not draining the film off the bearings. If the vehicle had been sitting for two years, that would be a different matter. But see, all those bearings are covered with oil. All the oil passages are still full of oil. So it's not like anything is dry. It was running five minutes before you changed the oil. Right. So the engine's still full of oil. The top of the engine's all full. All the oil passages are full. All the bearings are still wet with oil. So it's going to be totally negligible. A couple of things, Wayne, when you change oil, and you may be very well aware of this already, but you got to be very, very careful to keep everything extremely clean. One thing that I find a lot of places, if you go to an oil change, they'll... The hands are filthy. They pull the filter off. The base of the filter is filthy. They drop in little chunks of grit and all into that filter. Anything on the output side of that filter is going straight to those engine bearings. So you want to clean the entire area before you start. Be very careful not to bump the filter on the engine if it's dirty or anything like that. Another thing, do yourself a big, big favor on that one and buy a Motocraft filter. Can't name name brand name on the radio. There's some amount that have a very good reputation. They're absolute trash nowadays. Company's been bought and sold two or three times. Most of the aftermarket you, filters just aren't very good. Right. I tell you what I've done. I went over to Mobile One Full Synthetic uh-huh. and I bought a Mobile One filter. It's a good filter. A good it's filter. not made by Mobile One. They have it made for them. I don't know who makes it, but from the test I've seen, it's a pretty good filter. Good. Okay. Hey, thanks for listening to the Automotive Hour. Remember, if you need to get your questions answered, you can always go to the website and log on to agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. And just go to the questions section. If you can't find what you're looking for there, just click on the link to send me an email. As long as I've got a correct email address, I'll get an answer back to you generally within 24 hours. I want to thank everybody for listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.